From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, please visit lean.org. Today, Josh Howell and I are joined by Rivian CEO RJ Scarringe and COO Jim Morgan. Rivian is an electric vehicle company that stormed into the auto industry in 2019 with announcements of an all-electric pickup and an SUV slated for production in the second half of 2020. One round of its $3 billion in funding was notably led by Amazon, which subsequently ordered 100,000 electric delivery vans. Josh and I were lucky to spend the day at Rivian's design studio, where we learned how RJ is not just designing products that could disrupt the auto industry in the new decade, but designing an organization to last for many decades to come. Let's get started. I guess maybe to, to start, um, maybe you could just describe for us, like, you know, what is it about this moment in time in the history of Rivian uh, that, that is, is uh, I don't know, makes it such a such an interesting time uh, for the company? Yeah, well, it's 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 interesting starting a business like this because the there's a number of items you need to have at the same time or in parallel that all of which are hard. So to launch a car company, you need billions of dollars. You need you know, 1,000-plus engineers, you need you know, 250 suppliers providing all the content uh, for the vehicle. You need a manufacturing plant and a manufacturing team to run that plant. Technology has to be proven and tested in multiple winters and summers, and then that technology has to be wrapped in a vehicle that ultimately generate demand uh, that customers will want. So if it's a, a, you know, a unique market proposition. Mm. And the challenge is... Um, the order operation of operations of how to build all those things when you start from zero. So you know, when I started the company 10 years ago, I had none of those. No team, no money, no technology, no plants, <laughs> no suppliers, no facilities. Um, and yet you wanted to build a car company. Yeah, and the challenge is figuring out how, how do you go about uh, building all those things that you need. Even if you had all those things at the very start, it will still take you four years. Um, and perhaps the biggest challenge is, is the capital needs. So uh, you need billions of dollars but to get those billions of dollars, you need to convince people to give you those or invest those billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. But you need to do that in the beginning without any of the things <laughs> necessary to prove you can do it. So to make a very long story short, um, you know, over the course of the last 10 years, we, we uh, intentionally built different parts of the business and iteratively refined the strategy, had a major pivot uh, off of the initial product plan in 2011 to mm-hmm. essentially what you see today. Mm-hmm. And really over the last uh, eight years since 2011, we've been putting those pieces together. And in some cases, the order of operations was was not um, necessarily what we would have liked, but it was required by how we were able to build each of those areas. So suppliers, team, capital, mm-hmm. manufacturing. So what's an example of that, that the order of operations as it, as it played out in your case? Well, it, to do anything, you need to have some capital. So... so Really, the starting with finding the right people to back the business, and then you know, developing and building confidence with them. And it's not as if um, you know, eight years ago, somebody walked in and said, "Well, here's you know, here's five hundred million dollars, get going." <laughs> uh, you start with much smaller investment levels, and and you essentially de-risk different areas of the business. And the areas we focused on de-risking in the early days, uh, in in order largely to generate um, stronger support from investors. Uh, we're within the product and technology space, so, mm-hmm. so demonstrating both that we could execute the product, but also that the product was technically feasible. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, um, validating and demonstrating that there's a market for what we're building. And today, it's maybe 
it's easier to see there's a market for building, but you know, eight, nine years ago, the idea of an electric pickup truck right. um, took some more convincing. So make a long story short, what we're seeing now is actually um, the culmination of all those sort of parallel build-outs all now being at essentially full steam and starting to come together. So we have, we're, we're very well capitalized. We have a manufacturing plant and a manufacturing team. We have hundreds of suppliers that are deeply engaged with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, you know, a team of about 1,600 people developing the products. Uh, and then on top of all that, we've, we've wrapped them in a market and brand position that, that has fortunately really connected quite well with consumers. And part of the strategy was we've underpinned all of that with a really uh, intentional technology strategy where the technology used within our vehicles not only supported our own brand and our own lineup of cars, Mm -hmm. but uh, very importantly supports uh, a multitude of different B2B businesses. Um, The biggest- This is the skateboard. Yeah, it's basically taking our skateboard, which the physical version of that is the batteries, the drivetrain, the cooling systems, the chassis, but the digital version is equally important. So all the network architecture, the ECUs, the software, the, you know, when I say software, the full stack of, mm-hmm. of uh, software on all of those main big domain controllers which we're building in-house. Mm-hmm. And essentially that providing a platform for which we can create very different products for very different markets. Um, and what we've now announced with Amazon is a, is a, is a perfect embodiment of that yeah. where we can really rethink in its entirety the logistics space um, using this platform and be able to go very quickly because we're you know, we're able to reuse a lot of the the more challenging long lead time uh, technologies. So, anyways, it, so yeah, so we're seeing this this um, is sort of the orchestra starting to play. So all the instruments are now there. You're you're we're beginning to see the music of of what took a lot of time to get all the right pieces there. Um, and which I would say ten years ago when I was first starting, it was not at all clear on, on how you go about arranging. All the instruments for that orchestra to play music. Yeah, but it was like anything else. It's the only way to start was to start. So uh, lots of U-turns, lots of twists, sure. lots of turns, lots of gut punches. Um, but sort of over, overall, just brute force uh, built it. So one of the, you know, um, in preparation for today, I uh, just went through and read the like the series of news releases uh, on your website just from the last twelve months, and, mm-hmm. and each one of them has the blurb about you know. Uh, about Rivian and then mm. about Ford or about Amazon. Yep. Uh, and in each of the about Rivian paragraphs, there's a, a number given of how many people work at Rivian. <laughs> you keep growing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, from, from one month to the next, I mean, that number can be hundreds uh, different. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, even before we started that, that just this week, 55 people uh, started with the company. I mean, mm. that's, that's an incredible rate of, of growth yeah. to have uh, dozens of people joining the company each and every week. Mm. Um, you know, what in is fact, it? I, I say sixteen hundred. I'm not. I might be wrong. Growing rapidly, so you know, by, the end of, by the end of the year, it'll be significantly more, and certainly by the end of next year, it'll be a lot more. For, for sure, sure, for sure. So, how is it? You know, uh, as the as the leader over this organization, an organization that not so long ago was, you know, a dozen people, um, two hundred people, maybe a year ago, whatever, um, to what it is now. Um, what is it that's different about sort of the challenge that you have as the leader of this organization uh, from what yeah. it would have been two years ago, even yeah. or yeah, twelve it's, months it's ago? Interesting. So one of the big challenges is that you know ten years ago is one person, five <laughs> years ago is probably a hundred people, you know, and 
tiers, I don't know, three, four hundred people. So like the, the processes and the systems that we set up when it was 10 people um, don't work when it's 50 and certainly don't work when it's 100. And then the processes we redesigned when it was 100 ceased to work when we're 200. And uh, that just continues to play out. And a lot of um, a lot of the way things are designed and built when, when you're operating at a, at a relatively small scale, um, you can rely on the benefits of just simply being small um, and the benefits of, of not having a, to manage a lot of complexity or a lot of people mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. within the system. And as we're scaling now, it's, it's designing intentionally processes that are as lightweight as possible, but that streamline you know, everything from how decisions are made to how capital is deployed, um, you know, to how um, we coordinate between different functions. Mm. Uh, we're geographically across a few locations as well, so how do we coordinate across locations? <coughs> Um, but that's a constant state of process design while you're flying the plane. Mm. Um, so you know, it'd be nice if you could sort of pause everything <laughs> the business has to do, has to do, and say, "Hey, for the next month, let's work on all of our processes." But but we're also flying the plane, so it's not you know, you know pragmatically you can't do that. Sure, you, you sure, know, sure. we have a, you know, really aggressive timelines for launching a whole host of different products. So um, you know, it's it's part of it is learning to to run and. Uh, simultaneously swim and simultaneously design design the way we're running and swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's complex. Yeah, in, in, in your book, Jim, you describe the difference between, or you describe something called enabling bureaucracy versus coercive bureaucracy or sort of just a free, free-floating enterprise. And what you just described, RJ, sounded like, sounded like you're trying to build that enabling bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is kind of a terrible word, but um, a way to govern a lot of people as lightly as possible towards a common mission. So, how, yeah, how, how are you two working together to build, I mean, you've described it as the Rivian Way, or yeah. how, how are you working to build that? Yeah, I think RJ described working it. Working hard. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> described it really well. It's uh, sort of just enough. Um, sort of structure, infrastructure to help us operate effectively. Um, As RJ mentioned, we have multiple locations, we have a lot of different functions. We also have people that come from a host of different companies and they all have different backgrounds, different language, different acronyms, um, different uh, cultures or styles of of working. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have the opportunity to learn from all of them, right? Uh, And sort of use that knowledge to create a uh, new, a, a unique to Rivian way of, of working. Um, easier said than done, um, because, as, because as RJ pointed out, we're also developing products, right? We're on a critical path, and so the easy thing to do is default to what you're used to doing, right? What, what you brought with you from whatever company you came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also leads to people sort of working in cliques, right? People who speak the same language, quote unquote, or use the same acronyms or are used to doing things a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're trying to do is be very intentional about developing the Rivian way, whether it's the way we develop products, the way we run our manufacturing operations, the way we work with our suppliers. We want to pick um, all the best characteristics of what people bring to Rivian, but combine them in a new way, in a more effective way. And um, believe me, the, the temptation is to sort of default 
to you know so sort of the easy way of how we used to do this but I don't think in the long run uh, Rivian will be nearly as successful as if we're able to do this very I, I describe it as being very intentional about the way we create these uh, processes the way we build this operating infrastructure and to enroll everybody in that process is really crucial right so that they develop some uh, emotional and intellectual investment in the way things are done and so that creates this ownership that can then be sustained over time at Rivian mm -hmm. as opposed to sort of imposing these things on people so while it takes more time and can at times be a bit frustrating uh, in the long run um, we'll end up with a much more um, a much more powerful uh, culture so it's interesting the notion of um you know, wanting to create the Rivian way, not not try to copy some some uh, way of working from from any of these other companies that are kind of you know um, where people are coming from. Um, and there's the perspective of I guess someone like yourself, Jim, who had had a background at Ford and, and is now you know in the last just within the last year joining up uh, this company uh, and contributing to the development of the Rivian way. There's also employee number one mm. uh, from 10 years ago, or some of those 100 people yeah. uh, from five years ago who have been you know, developing the Rivian Way since its genesis, mm -hmm. uh, that are now experiencing the, whatever, the infusion uh, of whatever, the Ford Way uh, in your case, or uh, the Apple Way in, yeah. in the case of some other folks. Um, so how is, you know, I guess maybe just speak to your own experience of um, encountering these different ways of working uh, that people are bringing into this company. Um, yeah, I guess if you could share a little bit about Jim, that. Jim said this, it's an important point. We are building a team of exceptional people and we're intentionally bringing people in from a multitude of different places. So whether it's Apple or Tesla or Toyota or Ford, uh, they're coming in with different backgrounds and that's that's actually good that's what we're going for mm -hmm. but it's by design not, not just by necessity but 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 simultaneously we have to recognize that as folks come in we have to uh, unlearn some behaviors or experiences and relearn and and create the way we work and um, that's that's uh, sometimes harder said than done uh, or I should say easier said than done because there is there's just a lot of uh, emotional energy that, that you may have invested in the past into a certain way of behavior behaving that, that needs to be adjusted um, and it's not it's not a one-time occurrence it's it's an ongoing process of refining and ref, you know refining and, and maturing the way we work together the other thing that's happening though with the rate at which we're scaling is processes as I said are, are changing and have to adapt to the size of the organization and we are, Jim and I are spending a lot of time making sure we're, we're making or we're differentiating between tactical solutions that are appropriate for that moment in time mm. yep. versus philosophies or organizational behaviors that are permanent. Mm. And I've heard the term first principles as, as a way to Yeah, so, so it's another way to look at it. So, so uh, when we're 100 people five, six years ago, the tactics we use there are very different. Uh, than the tactics we're using today. Uh, but the philosophies, you know, mm. treat people the right way, respect one another, uh, transparency, these philosophies have to remain. And those, those started, as you said, with employee number one with myself. Um, 
And sometimes if the tactics get confused as philosophies, uh, that can be problematic. Um, so we're, we're very cognizant of, of making sure we're crisp on, on the things that are sacred that can't change, uh, but very flexible and intentionally very fluid on the things that need to change. Um, and, and this is where it's been a, a huge, uh, you know, a huge, um, hugely beneficial to have Jim here mm -hmm. helping to design uh, and build, you know, what are the processes. And then through that, to bolster and improve and, and deepen some of the philosophies that tie to those processes. You mentioned, I just want to add to that, you mentioned the first principles piece. Mm -hmm. um, those first principles are sort of RJ's basic philosophy around uh, who Rivian is and why Rivian exists uh, is the main reason that I'm here uh, trying to help. So um, it, it, uh, it, as you know, it took, me, it took a lot to get me out of Traverse City. Um, and it's only because of the, um, the aspirations that we have here in Rivian to care just as much about the, the how as the what, uh, to, to really be intentional about the why. Um, you know, those first principles are, are why I'm here. And, um, you know, the opportunity to be part of uh, manifesting those into a operating system uh, into you know so the way we work the Rivian way we mm -hmm. talk about increasingly um, is uh, is just a, it's a privilege well, yeah. no, go ahead. yeah as we were walking around um, it certainly struck me that um, everybody spoke similar to that Jim people are here for not just a salary but because they feel a great sense of uh, aspirational purpose. Mm. Uh, I've, I've felt that in just the few hours that I've been here. But I think uh, another another uh, a, a big turning point in the company is taking place at Normal, where you are preparing to manufacture your vehicles. And if there is a brown spot in the company, I guess it could be at Normal because it previously a, a Mitsubishi plant. Um, and there's something of an existing workforce that I understand will be returning to the plant. Um, what's, what's been, um, or how are you thinking about how to take uh, the culture that exists in this office, the offices in Irvine, Palo Alto, and instill them in, in the plant at Normal? Yeah, I'll take a shot at this. Um, so I think one of the things that is really exciting about Rivian is that, um, as we were, we were walking around, I explained that um, we're not differentiating between uh, sort of roles in the company, uh, types of employees, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, you know software, or whether it's the battery labs, or whether it's here the Plymouth Development Center or at the plant. Um, the facility looks very mm -hmm. similar. Uh, we put just as much care into the offices at the plant as we do anyplace else. We work hard to have the same um, you know, operating rules uh, in each of the facilities. Um, we really um, strive to make it almost invisible sort of where you are once you get inside the facility, if that makes sense. Um, and the way that we um, engage with the rest of the team is the same, mm -hmm. irrespective of what location we're at or what your particular job function is. Um, you know, whether that's RJ uh, talking to everybody. I mean, people at Rivian 
um, all sort of value their personal relationship with RJ. Um, and I've, you know, I've seen a lot where he, um, you know, interacts with people identically regardless of where they're at. So um, in terms of the manufacturing facility itself, um, it, the same feel, the same culture, the same look uh, is there as is in each of the facilities. Yeah. And I think it gets back to making sure we maintain that consistent philosophy uh, of how we treat people and how we, you know, those behavioral philosophies. Um, so of course, the tactics are going to be different. So yeah. some of the, some of the, some of the, the, the details of how we run the plant and, and how the workforce interacts with, you know, the course of their day versus how somebody in, let's say, the marketing team might, might their day may look are going to be very different. Um, but we come from the same belief system. And, you know, you ask the question of, uh, what what what's the process look like at the plant where we're bringing a workforce in that had in, in the large part previously worked in this facility with different philosophies and different different operating processes? Um, I actually look at that as a huge strength, uh, and a lot of it is for us. It's it, we're, we're we're lucky. This is a facility that was commissioned in the late '80s. First model year was 1990, so it's a it's a relatively new. Facility, particularly in the world of brownfield automotive plants, it's it's one of the newest in the world um, that we could have acquired. And the workforce that's there, many of them, their first job out of college or out of high school uh, was in this plant. And imagine coming to this facility in its in its beginning days and helping to either build it, launch it, or, or run it in those early years, and then being part of the process of, of being in that facility for 20, 25 years, and then having to shut it down. And you know, when you're you know, mid-career, uh, and now the opportunity to relaunch that facility and the energy and the excitement that comes from being part of, of that relaunch and what that means for the community, it's not something that you could actually buy, that kind of commitment, and you see it in the workforce, you see it in the, the teams. Um, there's one of the things, frankly, I'm most excited about with the facility is actually the team that we're building there. It's, it's Of course, the facility is going to be amazing, um, but ultimately it's about the people and, and the operating uh, philosophies and the operating behaviors we set up there and to have as a backdrop the energy and the passion that <clears throat> people aren't paying attention to whether they're you know five minutes early five minutes late but rather how do I get my job done the, the best of possible ways it's again you can't you can't buy that so it strikes me that there's uh, an interesting kind of give and take um, happening in, in various ways throughout Rivian between like kind of old existing and new and these things kind of feeding each other. So you just, we just described uh, in one way the sort of flow of the Rivian philosophy, the Rivian culture, the Rivian way, uh, which is new. I mean, this is a relatively new company. Yeah. Uh, and how that's being introduced to uh, an existing and older place, right? The, the, <coughs> the factory normal, those workers uh, who have had a, a, a previous experience. Um, when we were walking around the, the office here, um, we, we were, it was explained to us one of the like uh, platforms where people can sit and there's sort of st stairwell that goes yeah. up, that that was uh, transplanted <laughs> yeah, from, the plant, uh, from normal yeah. as, as a catwalk uh, there that, that now is, is a place. So there's a, you know, sort of a concrete example. Yeah, it was intentional, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of the old uh, place, yeah. the sort of existing, uh, introducing here. So um, what would be maybe another example of, you know, um, these, these, uh, previous experiences, whether it's so, something from Ford or something from Normal, maybe maybe Normal is a good place to kind of focus on, where um, 
Rivian is stronger today is benefiting from a learning that is sort of pulled out of uh, pulled out of normal, not just a, a, a catwalk that's now a nice. You know, it's the whole company. To be honest, the whole company is um, our strength is is the team, and the team is a is a wonderful mix of people coming right out of college to people that have been working in the auto industry for thirty years, to people that have been in the technology space, you know since the early Apple days. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's by design a, a mix of these experiences and, and the mosaic of experiences that comes out of that is, is what you know, forms the picture that is the Rivian team. Um, now, because it is a mosaic, we need to make sure we're organized and we need to make sure we're, we're, we're thoughtful about how we combine all those pieces and, and we need to be thoughtful about how we um, train and, and sort of establish how we work together. But, but absolutely the reason you know, our success is, is, is going to be built on the, the aggregate set of experiences. I mean, you're sitting right here with Jim, so Jim's a is case in point. He's got uh, arguably more experience than anyone in the world when it comes to designing product development systems and processes mm -hmm. and designing um, operating processes. So to have his experience in as part of this, it's amazing. Um, but Jim, just like us all, he's learning every day. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's through those the learnings and, and through the the openness to to see the world differently that that we take what Jim came in with and we continue to improve it. I don't know, Jim, do you want to comment on that? I completely agree. I think that um, I've learned a tremendous amount here, um, but I think uh, we all continue to learn from each other because of the sort of back to first principles, sort of the, the humility that's necessary to learn, the sort of, you know, I don't know everything, right? Um, I can learn from other people, that we can learn from people who came from other companies with mm -hmm. different uh, experiences, whether it's the uh, former Apple guys or the former Tesla people or the you know former McLaren folks yeah. that make up this mosaic. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that's awesome about uh, Rivian is the, the focus on being inclusive, the focus on valuing that previous experience, valuing what you bring to the team, mm -hmm. right, and integrating that into the mosaic that yeah. uh, RJ described, and then creating an infrastructure that enables, you talked about enabling bureaucracy, I think about enabling infrastructures uh, that can bring the best of those people, right, um, yeah. together to create uh, who Rivian is and, and, and the products uh, that we create, uh, you know, ultimately for our customers um, benefit from uh, our ability to, to bring that all together into, uh, into a powerful force, yeah. I think it's really remarkable, Jim. I mean, to, you know, sort of give you just a bit of kudos, you know, in, in the world of LEI, um, uh, lean product and process development has been something that has been a, a really uh, f kind of focus uh, of the institute uh, for the last handful of years, mm -hmm. uh, with you as its leader. Um, and you know there are a lot of people in our community who look to you as the thought leader uh, in this space in terms of lean thinking applied to product and process development. Uh, and you know I'm, I'm sure that you know you, you just referenced that it was that wealth of experience that Jim has that, that was attractive to, <laughs> uh, to bring him into Rivian uh, to help in, in the ways that you're now helping. Um, but then at the same time, to hear you articulate um, really like a learner's mindset and the openness that this challenge is requiring from you as someone who, we, who many of us look to, uh, RJ included, 
uh, as, as being really an expert uh, with a wealth of experience and capability that, that we can all learn from. To hear you at the same time um, celebrate the learning that you're getting from this experience and what you can learn from, we were talking earlier, um, what you can learn from you know, the, the 20-year-olds <laughs> uh, who are here in this company, uh, the 30-year-olds. Is uh, I mean that, that, I I just think that's a real testament um, to you and you know what what I've really come to appreciate uh, of the I don't know the leaders that I most admire um, folks like Jim Womack and, and John Shook who who we all know uh, that that really have never lost that kind of learner's mindset um, in a world that that frankly is chock full of a lot of folks that that don't have that at all <laughs> uh, that are quite quite. Uh, confident that, that they just kind of have the answer uh, to most things. Um, it's really cool that, that you know, uh, while you're looking to him to come in and, and really be this expert, that, that maybe even more valuable um, to you and the company is the fact that Jim's coming in with that experience for sure, yeah. um, but coming in as, as an avid, committed, eager learner himself. Yeah. Um, and if he, if he wouldn't, it, it sounds like the Rivian way wouldn't have, wouldn't have suited wouldn't have you know accepted Jim. It's uh, also part of our culture in. is to constantly exactly. be constantly be learning and be open to be to learn, um, and and constantly be checking your assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's I think it's really important not only for 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 us as a company but in this industry with with the rate at which things are changing, to to be open to constantly learning and constantly um, re reevaluating your assumptions. So that has to flow from you. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that we've been curious about coming in is given the, the uh, extensiveness of the growth and the change that, that this company has, has experienced in just the last 10 years is, I mean, for you personally, um, what are some of the kind of leadership lessons uh, that you've accumulated over the years? And the fact that you're this open learner and, and yeah. you know, uh, cherishing somebody like Jim who's, who's similar. Um, it, you know, you're, you're, you're amenable to that. Um, so I don't know, it'd be interesting for us to hear just, you know, a little bit about um, maybe some of the key key learnings for you that um, that you've accumulated in the last 10 years. Yeah, it's, um, it's not a day that goes by that you know, something new doesn't uh, emerge and something to learn from. I think Jim probably <laughs> taught me three things yesterday and two of them were after nine o'clock at night. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I, uh, jokes aside, it, it absolutely it's um, uh, building and, and scaling a business like this is is incredibly humbling um, because there's there's simply so much that you don't know and because of the nature of how the company's been built, uh, there are so many mistakes that that are necessary as part of the growth process. Um, and key for us, I mean, the reason we're sitting here today uh, is the ability to recognize where we're Things aren't right, and the ability to adjust. Uh, so, if you know, if, if the way that I originally envisioned the business, or the way that I originally um, sort of sold the business, as we're looking for partners, investors, mm-hmm. was the same today as it was nine, ten years ago, we wouldn't be sitting here. So, uh, I really, I, I say to my wife all the time, one of the most important things I think for me is to remain idealistic, which means to remain curious. It's actually one of our uh, yeah. Uh, core behaviors of, of the business is to stay curious, um, and you know, implicit with staying curious is also, you know, learning is 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 continuing to observe all those things that that you know you can do better yourself. 
So for me, I'd say one of the biggest learnings, and, and ironically, it's if you'd asked me a long time ago what I thought was the most important thing for the business, I would have said it's about people, uh, making sure you understand um, the, the, you know, the strength that Jim has said to me a few times, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Uh, but, but really understanding that it's the, the, the strength of the team and the way that the team works together um, and, and the, the combination of skill sets necessary for a team to be successful. I would have spoke to that nine years ago, but it's uh, not a day goes by where I don't realize that even more so. Uh, so if I could go back and give myself advice, I would have sort of repeated that and said, hey, really, it's about the team. Um, and it's so easy to say, you ask, you know, I ask 10 founders what they think, what's the most important thing, they likely say it's the team. But really believing that and then really deriving action from that in how you recruit, how you promote, you know, how you provide feedback. Um, you know, when you have to make hard decisions, meaning when you have the wrong types of people in, in positions within the company, removing those people, how you go about removing those people. Uh, these are all things, each one of those embodies many, many learnings for myself. Um, and of course, with that, you know, many mistakes, I'm sure that, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, I would have approached differently, but, um, but, it's, but it's the acknowledgement of how to do those things differently that then informs the future actions. Just to kind of, get a little bit more specific. I mean, Jim, you've been at Rivian for how long now? Five months, mm. six months, something like that. And yeah, full-time, sort of. Yeah. He's been involved for a while, but... Uh, for a while, but five or six months, you've been coming here, right. supporting the company, first as interim CEO, now as COO, but... Uh, I was never a CEO. Oh, sorry, no. did I say CEO? <laughs> yeah. I meant to say CEO. Some days. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. sorry, COO. And uh, I'm just very curious. I mean, we're talking about learning. Uh, RJ, you mentioned you learned a few things from Jim last night, late. Um, but what ha what are some specific things, takeaways you've you've received from Jim that have changed how you behave, and vice versa? I'll ask Jim kind of the same question, um, but maybe starting with RJ. I, it, I actually, what I said there is. is is really the broadest the categorization of, of how to build teams and um, in building a company there's always gaps there's lots of gaps so I think on day one of the first year day one year one I was everything I was everything from the janitor to the head of CAD to the head of design to the head of HR um, so because of that the, the ways in which we executed certain things weren't going to be uh, as robust as we would like Today, a lot of those gaps are filled, but gaps still exist. So within that, the roles for all the individuals within the company are also evolving. And um, a big part of designing the company for growth is, is identifying where we have, where our strengths and our weaknesses are. And, and when we identify strengths, making sure we apply them in the right place. When we identify weaknesses, making sure we respond in the right way. Um, and there's many ways to respond to a weakness, uh, and oftentimes it's looking in the mirror and saying, "How you know? How can I?" Jim talked about it before. How can we set up the scaffolding better? Um, how can we set up the organization to enable this weakness to become a strength? And um, I think we're doing that, you know, beautifully right now. I mean, there's it's always something I wish we can go faster on, but we're identifying ways to to get the absolute most out of our people and play to our, our team's strengths. And then where we see weaknesses under understanding the root issue of what is, if something's not working well, um, very often it's easy to point at the, 
you know, a person or an individual or, uh, or something technical, but often it's, it's more nuanced than that. So you guys are familiar, what, what are the five whys? Like really, let's understand what's really not working here. Um, and that's something Jim has coached me on a lot, which is um, making sure we ask the, the second, third, fourth, fifth why, uh, if you will, to make sure we don't uh, immediately think a problem is um, what our uh, in initial sort of exposure or visibility to that problem might be. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, there's, there's so many things. Um, first of all, technically, I've learned a ton from RJ in terms of, um, you know, the propulsion system that we have. All this stuff has been very unique to me, our, uh, our battery systems. Um, it has been incredible education from a, from a guy who comes from the internal combustion world. Um, and, and, uh, and I've just learned a ton. But the, I think the thing that stands out for me most in terms of what I've learned from RJ is... Um, his ability to think six steps ahead. Um, I think that's what helps make him such a successful entrepreneur. Um, it's what helps him, um, you know, be an effective leader. Um, and, uh, and I find myself always sort of um, playing catch up with RJ, sort of like he's already there, right? Kind of, and sort of uh, what goes beyond that. And so um, expanding, uh, you know, sort of the way I think strategically uh, to think multiple steps ahead. We talked earlier about the Second Life mm -hmm. uh, work that uh, RJ has been doing with um, Alex, Alex uh, Home, Home uh, Foundation. Um, but, I mean, we could go on and on in terms of thinking through um, our uh, distribution, service, whatever, models um, as we think through the business. I think that's where I've, I've just I've learned a ton from RJ. Well, I'm excited to see what... Uh what, what, what things we've yet learned about mm. uh, that, that, that you're already uh, game planning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have in mind for the product and, and the services and everything that are, that are gonna come out. Yeah. Um, so one, one thing that I, I you, Jim, you were sharing uh, as we were walking around today that you've introduced into the way of working here that's, that's now starting to uh, shape the Rivian way is, uh, is the idea of uh, visualizing the work, mm -hmm. sort of in these Obeya spaces and cadenced meetings. You described a few that, that are now uh, set up. Um, and, you know, that, that's obviously a, a big part of uh, the, the way of, of working with, with lean thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be curious to hear, you know, from you specifically, what, what's been your experience with some of these uh, tactics, I guess, or, or techniques that Jim's introduced uh, to the management team, the executive team in particular, mm -hmm. and what you you know perceive as as beneficial uh, with with working in these uh, these these new ways. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> I think at the core, the the reason for you know, these the cadence of meetings or the obey rooms and visual management we put in place, uh, the objective is is. Uh, essentially to make issues clear. Uh, you, you can't manage a secret, as Jim likes to say. Um, and that's been really effective, and it's been really timely as well as we've scaled, where uh, you know, the processes one would use at, at a small group just don't scale uh, when you're at this, at this size, so as I said before. Um, so this has been great, and, and I think a lot of the visual tools are put in place in the obey rooms we've, we've set up. Uh, what I find most exciting about them is that uh, they've become um, self-perpetuating in the sense that the teams mm. truly derive great value from them. Um, so what we've set up at the plant, for example, uh, versus you know six months ago we had a you know light visual management system in place. 
to what's now been put in place, which is you know, really sort of uh, the beginnings of what is an incredible Obeya uh, management room, if you will. Um, that was driven, you know, Jim started that chain reaction, but that chain reaction has now been embraced by the plant management team, mm. uh, which is exactly what you want. And, and that to me is the, we had a picture Jim sent out yesterday of the team at, at the you know, Obeya meeting, and you see the level of engagement, you see the level of value that's being created because of it. Mm. Uh, you see that we're identifying disconnects, we're identifying problems before they exist because of visual management, because of the tools we're putting in place. So it's, it's incredible. And back to that sort of learning theme that we talked about earlier, as we have been talking about this, as we have been engaging the team in some of these um, tools and, and methods, um, we've been very uh, open about the fact that it's not gonna be right the first time, yeah. right? In fact, it's probably gonna suck the first time through. But the idea is we're putting them in place to PDCA, right? To continually reflect on what we're doing and how can we make it better, how can we be? And that not only helps to improve that infrastructure, but it's also part of enrolling people in the That's process, right, yeah. right? Making them part of creating this. And so what was great about the, the, the reason I sent the picture out to RJ was um, it had nothing to do with me, right? It was Kip, the plant yeah. manager, and all the area managers were engaged, and, and I wasn't even there, right? I mean, it just, it was them owning it and making it into something that works for them. And, uh, and I think that's the most important, important part of, of totally. any of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a chain reaction. So, so Jim started and, and has really been the uh, mentor to, to across the whole organization on that, but to see the teams now start to embrace it and then the effect that has on other teams when they see the benefits coming out of these types of um, approaches and tools is, is great. And they have, I mean, and they've improved on anything I envisioned, right? So they're in a place now that um, if I was just sort of directing this, we probably never would have gotten to. And yeah. so um, by engaging um, across uh, the leadership team there, um, it's much better product or system than it would have been otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Because they've all made it better. Yeah, I hope to go. I mean, we, we, we talked earlier, maybe there's an opportunity to go to go see that at some point. Uh, I'd love to go to Normal and, and check it out and yeah. uh, maybe even watch one of these meetings unfold um, in that space. I mean, conversely, I guess, uh, you also walked us into a room yeah. here, <laughs> uh, here in Plymouth, uh, that, that was... Uh, as you described, kind of a, a failure uh, in an attempt to set up an Obeya and, and build a, a meeting within that context. Um, so, you know, anyway, interesting. That, it's a, it's a, I, would, I would characterize it as a temporary failure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. Because it, yeah. Um, because again, we're, we don't hesitate to push the reset button if yeah. something isn't working. We're not wedded to it, right? Um, it's sort of uh, the difference between set-based and iterative design, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we tried an experiment, didn't work. So what you saw in there is we're reconstructing now based on what we learned mm -hmm. through the first experiment. So um, again, that goes back to humility. You know, we've been, some of us have been doing this a long time. We still get stuff wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we're, we're okay to push the reset button and not continue to, to labor with something that's gonna get us no place. Well, what I thought was cool about it was you, you described that, that, yeah, that there was a, a team that, that now is kind of taking away the, the learning from that experience yep. uh, to kind of rethink uh, the, way, the way to do it. Uh, and I think if you come back out in whatever, couple months yes, please you'll you'll see something else there that again that the team takes ownership of it's very cool right yeah one thing um, so I'm kind of sensing two themes one is just aspiration 
So there's a sense of purpose that uh, exists here at this company, driven by the, the goals you have as an organization uh, to make, I think, uh, the world a better place mm -hmm. um, through, in this case, making uh, electric vehicles more available and out on the road. Uh, but then there's also the what we've been talking mostly about is um, you know aspiration inspiration may not be enough you need to organize people in a manner so you can channel that energy that inspiration uh, effectively but I would like to kind of explore the aspirational part um, of the company with you RJ I mean what what sort of context what kind of vision are you trying to create, and it appears you certainly have created it, you can feel a sense of dedication to the, to the people in the company, but what, what environment are you trying to create and what vision are you trying to set for people uh, at Rivian? Well, as you look at what's happening within transportation, we're going through, you talk about an inflection point for the company, we're also going through an inflection point as a society and how we think about moving people and goods. Um, and it's a, it's a necessary inflection point. Um, if you zoom way out, you, the way we move around on the planet today, and for that matter, the way we power our lives, is almost entirely based upon fossil fuels. Um, and it's an interesting challenge of timescales where uh, you know, the fossil fuels that exist on our planet today were built up over you know, the course of approximately 300 million years. And um, we're consuming at such a rate that we've used about half of that in about 100 years. So it's... Um, it's not a debate to whether or not we have to switch off a dependence on fossil fuels. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's just requirement, uh, provided we want to continue living the way that we live or something similar to the way we live today. Um, what's interesting is uh, if we're consuming at like one three millionth of the rate that we consume today as a planet, you could just continue to allow for fossil fuels to replenish themselves and and live off of fossil fuels. But given the size of the human population on the planet, it's simply not possible. Um, the other thing, the other wrinkle that makes this quite interesting is the impacts of burning fossil fuels. So while we know with certainty we have to move off of them within a couple of generations following us, uh, it's a certainty. Um, we also know that the longer we wait to make that transition, the greater uh, damage we do to the climate, to the planet, to air quality. Um, you know, and essentially we're moving carbon that was buried into the earth and we're moving into the atmosphere, which has an impact on temperature has an impact on, on climate patterns. Um, we're also changing the makeup of air quality, particularly in, in dense cities, uh, putting things that are toxic and pollutant in the air. So we see a huge urgency to, to solve that. Um, and solving that is not a simple problem. Uh, and it requires many companies like ourselves to, to, to participate in this you know, you know, cross full planet solution. So for us, we see, um, and I think this intrinsically motivates the team really nicely, we see what we're doing as a key part of that. Um, you know, in, in the personal vehicle space, we're creating products that help generate excitement and awareness around electrification. Uh, you know, we're seeing other companies respond to some of the things that we've built, which, which we love. That's a, that's a really good thing. Uh, it's, it's awesome to have more uh, variety of interesting and uh, desirable electric vehicles. It's also important to have consumers want those electric vehicles. And then we're doing the same on, with the leveraging of our platform. So you know, what we're doing with Amazon is, is, is going to set the bar for what other logistics uh, and fleet operated players have to do. So just 
that strategy and its role within, um, you know, from a from a humanity point of view and from a from a social point of view, creates a level of motivation uh, that that can't be fabricated. Um, you know, we're, we're building something that is meaningful that matters for our kids, 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 and uh, it also is a natural filter for the types of people that we recruit into the organization. Um, you know, so it, and in that that alignment around doing good for the world and, and, and working our hardest to make sure we leave things better than how we got them informs so many different things. So an example, just a, one that Jim and I were talking about late last night, um, is on our logistics team, uh, we're looking at the dunnage we're using within our facility. And there's many ways to do it. You can use cardboard, you can, re, you can have reusable dunnage. Uh, what we're working towards as our long-term philosophy is to have, of course, reusable dunnage but to make that from recycled ocean plastic. And is that gonna get all the plastic out of the ocean? No, but is it gonna start and start that process and make a very clear statement? You know, is it gonna, is it gonna create a downstream supply or downstream demand for millions of tons of plastic? Yes, so these are the kinds of things that, you know, that you know, customers may not ever see. Actually, very few customers will ever see our dunnage but that are so ingrained and deep within the company's philosophy um, that that just drives these types of decisions and then it's self-perpetuating. So people see that kind of behavior and say, what can I do to be more efficient in terms of my work or in terms of the product or in terms of the way we make the products? Yeah, and the, the, that particular idea, the, <clears throat> the people that uh, sort of are doing this work around the ocean-bound plastics, Nobody told them yeah, to amazing. go do that, right? Mm. I mean, they got excited about this concept. They got, um, you know, they did the work around um, how do we make this happen and how do we bring this to, to RJ and Jim and, and talk about how, how we incorporate that in the way we do our work. Um, that no, Nobody had to tell them to do that. That's their enthusiasm. And, you know, RJ mentioned a couple of times, um, you know, we talked about this or that, at, you know, it was after nine o'clock. When, when we left here, we weren't the only ones in the building, right? I mean, so um, that sort of um, internal drive and enthusiasm about being part of Rivian and being part of what this organization stands for um, is palpable. You guys felt it coming in yeah, here, and, uh, and I see it every day. I heard a, a phrase, and I may, I may not get this quote correct, uh, so you guys can, can correct it, but the, the idea of this being a company that is creating adventure vehicles for the outdoors that cares for the outdoors um, as such a, you know, sort of obviously good thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and yet, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe here's a, a pioneering company in, in demonstrating how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, even that idea that you're explaining, you know, aligns with that sort of uh, mission statement uh, in, a, in a pretty pretty clear way. It strikes me that there's a, a corollary, almost, uh, statement that describes also the like company you're building as a company that um, you know is, is for customers, of course, uh, to create, uh, to sort of inspire uh, adventure, uh, provide means by which that can happen. Um, but that is also very committed to caring for the people here mm-hmm. uh, who are who are participating in that. So you described it's not it's not just a company focused on the what I guess uh, the car and what what that's going to yeah. mean for for customers, um, but it's a company that's also quite uh, quite caring about yeah. the how and the experience that you know your your fifteen hundred sixteen hundred twenty five hundred whatever yeah. that number happens to be on a given day. 
uh, how they experience the, the Riverine Way. I guess. Yeah, the organization is, is actually the most important product we have. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we could create a great first product, but if there's not an organization that's robust and built upon solid foundation sitting behind it, the second, the third, the fourth product, so to speak, uh, won't be there. So that we're very cognizant of that, and that's something um, Jim is is a huge advocate for, and uh, has really helped us think about that as well. Is the organization as a product, and being very intentional, yeah. right, about the way we develop the organization, just like you're very intentional <coughs> about developing the ultimate product that goes to your customer. So one thing we were thinking about, you know, um, so there are people who are going to listen uh, to this to this conversation uh going to listen to this podcast and you know we were we were uh, thinking to in preparation for today about um you know in what way will this conversation be relatable uh or will you know folks who don't work at rivian uh, how will they connect uh, to a conversation with you and a conversation about this company because you know there there aren't uh, really many other companies like this out in the world. Their, their experience is going to be very different. Your experience at Ford was very different. My experience at Starbucks is very different. Um, these were companies that were, uh, Matt used the term earlier, that these are companies that are primarily kind of brownfields that you know exist, have been around for a long time, and so there's, there's often, especially for the kind of lean person in the company or just any, any kind of a change agent, um, any kind of a leader, uh, there's the challenge of trying to influence a brownfield, uh, right? Influence an existing culture uh, to maybe be different. Uh, and so oftentimes uh, those individuals, I have been one in, in various situations, sort of lament that challenge, <laughs> you know? Um, if, if it wasn't for this brownfield, if it wasn't for this existing culture, if it wasn't for these, you know, this, the, the years that this company has, uh, I could, you know, I, I could lead the company to to uh, operate more effectively, to perform at a higher level, uh, to practice lean thinking, whatever uh, whatever they may be trying to do. Um, whereas in this situation, uh, there there may, maybe is a, a brownfield in in normal Illinois, uh, to some extent, um, but in in really everywhere else, and probably also in normal, uh, there's there's really you know a clean sheet is the the phrase I guess that I've I've heard uh, quite a lot today. Um, or Greenfield uh, is sort of a concept that folks are familiar with. Um, anyway, folks often you know, long for <laughs> an opportunity where there's a Greenfield, where there's a clean sheet, where they can sort of do it right the first time, uh, as if that would be a, a different and maybe less challenging experience than they're having in their Brownfield. But, you know, talking with, with you guys even just over the last hour and, and in, in advance of this conversation, um, you know, that clean sheet, that green field, uh, seems to have all sorts of uh, challenges uh, to it that maybe somebody who, who's not in the situation that you've been in uh, with starting up a company or, or that you've been in joining a company that's, you know, just 10 years old uh, are actually encountering. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, when you thought about sort of uh, building a company from employee number one to, to the, the numbers you have today and, and as you think about going forward, what are some things that... I don't know, maybe you thought would be easier uh, than they've turned out to be mm. in building a company, or even some things that uh, you thought would be really, really difficult uh, yeah. that, that have turned out maybe to be easier than expected. Well, clean sheet's challenging because um, on one hand, you get to build everything from scratch, but on the other hand, you have to build everything from scratch. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so a lot of times you're not starting from a process, but 
it's also, um, you have to be careful that as much as we started with a clean sheet, we're also now have a painting that's underway. And it's, it's a constantly evolving painting and every company has some version of that. Uh, so after day one on, with Rivian, uh, by day two, we were already evolving what we'd done on day one. Stuff on the sheet, yeah. So, um, you know, today we're, we're, we're in that state of, of making adjustments, making changes, as we described over the course of the conversation, uh, that are not too indifferent from what you might see at a, at a larger you know, company that may have 100 years of, of paint on the canvas, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important to and these things to not not find the, uh, to, to find the opportunities to, to, to improve things as opposed to find the uh, to find the bears um, and focusing on what those opportunities are. We have lots of bears or lots of challenges for us, no doubt. The clean sheets seem always you know starting fresh always seems uh, so grass is green on the other side thing. It always yeah, seems like it right. may be easier, but but first it's as I said it's not entirely a clean sheet and, and two it, it does require a lot of work. It's a lot of building. Um, so case in point, as you think about uh, take manufacturing processes, we're designing all, a lot of those processes from scratch, um, but we're building those off of the aggregate set of experiences we have within the team. Mm-hmm. But because we're designing them from scratch, we're, the challenges we're, we're running, we're, we're going as, as fast as we can. So in some cases, we wish we had a process that we could at least tweak. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, we'll put a rudimentary process in and remove the clean sheet, knowing that we're gonna change that rudimentary process relatively quickly. Um, so to, to more concise answer your question, I think um, one of the most important ways to look at uh, clean sheet, brownfield, regardless how you look at it, is, is to find opportunities for improvement and, and be optimistic about hunting for those and, and going after them. Yeah, I, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, I was one of those who said, you know, if only I had a clean sheet, uh, my advice is careful what you wish for. Because um, it comes with its own set of unique challenges, right? So not necessarily harder, just different. Um, and uh, RJ talked about, you know, building the plane while you're flying. I talk a lot about laying the track just in front of the train. And, uh, and you know, some days I feel like I'm one cross tie ahead. and. Other days, I feel like I'm one cross tie behind, um, and uh, and and so it's just it's different challenges, but it's uh, it's incredibly exciting for me, and I think it inspires that opportunity inspires a lot of the people who are here. So um, when I uh, talk to people who are joining us or thinking of joining us from uh, you know other OEMs, you know sort of uh, companies that have been around a lot longer. Um, I spend some time talking about the challenges are different here. It's not, uh, it's not the same as you know fill in the blank wherever you came from, um, and it's uh, for some people that's really exciting. For other people, it's um, you know it's it's super scary. Yeah, often when when I meet with folks that are thinking about joining the company, I, I always very clear on this and I say. Part of being a Rivian, this is, if, if you like hiking, uh, there's hiking where there isn't a trail or where the trail is very loosely defined. Uh, and then there's hiking where there's a paved trail. Um, both are forms of exercise, but this, you know, with, without a paved trail, it's a very different experience. Um, and you know, for some people, they prefer that. And we're always very, we've gotten much better about it, but we're very precise about how we explain that to people before they come in to say, look, this is... This is a steep. This is going to be different. This is a steep and difficult, but highly fulfilling climb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the question that uh, Jim gave us 
to ask you <laughs> oh boy. Uh, before you walked in. Uh, so why in the world did you want to start a car company? Um, so I've been a car person since I was a kid. Uh, so grew up in and around cars since I was, I mean, a little kid, just loved cars. Then got involved in restoring classic cars. And um, it's been sort of one of my central, like, defining passions is the automobile. Um, there's, a but car, I, there's a lot of car companies out there you could have gone to work for. Yeah. <laughs> so as I, as I started to get older and, and understand the sort of system around cars and around automobiles, it um, started to deeply bother me that the things that I loved so much uh, were simultaneously responsible for, mm-hmm. for, for really damaging the place in which we lived, our, you know, as a human being, our only, our only home, so to speak. Um, and I'm simultaneously really into the outdoors, so it was just this weird uh, and painful um, crossroads where two of the things that I loved most were at, in conflict. You know, yeah, were in perfect conflict. Um, so decided to really study that and go into that. And by the time I was maybe 20 years old, I knew I wanted to start this company. And then it was just a question of when and how. Um, and if you asked me, you know, when I was 20 years old, how I do it, I would have said I'll probably go work somewhere for some time. But ultimately, the the circumstances evolved such that uh, I started the company much sooner, and um, certainly glad that I did. Uh, but it was really at the the nexus of how do we create vehicles that are simultaneously exciting and and will inspire people in the same way that cars inspired me as a kid, uh, but then also enable uh, and uh, promote the outdoors. Um, and you hopefully can see that in our brand. That's that's very much what we're going after. Yeah. Well, Jim, uh, who, who, who did step away, <laughs> uh, says he asked you that, that sort of, uh, essentially that same question when he first met you uh, back at MIT. Why, why in the world would you want to uh, start a car company? Yeah. And so he's, he's been curious as to whether your your answer today is the same answer that he received back then or not. Back then? <laughs> yeah. It's probably, probably even, uh, even sharper. Uh, I mean, when so I met Jim Womack when I was at MIT a long, long time ago, and he was giving a course that I was sitting in on. And uh, near the end of the semester, I went up to him and said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a car company. <laughs> you guys know Jim Womack. So yes. that then began a 20-minute uh, <laughs> set of questions, which were uh, highly, uh, both highly interesting, highly humorous, and highly challenging. Yes, of course. Um, but you know, ultimately, it was really that, that desire to, to create something that was that could simultaneously satisfy both both ends of the spectrum, you know, drive towards sustainability, but also enable, um, you know, enthusiasm for the automobile. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, since Jim's not here, I'll let you know, he thinks you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs>Thanks again to RJ Scaringe and Jim Morgan for joining Josh and I on the podcast. To learn more about Rivian, check out Rivian.com. Thanks to Emma Rip and Lori Moniz, producers of WLEI, and thanks to you for listening. RJ was a keynote speaker at the 2018 Designing the Future Summit. To learn more from leaders like RJ, check out LEI's 2020 Designing the Future Summit at lean.org slash designfuture2020.